This is Positively Farming Media. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. Last week, we talked about the basics of freezing your garden harvest, or maybe your extra haul from the farmer's market. And that's definitely an easy way to get started in preserving your food. But if you're really serious about preserving, and maybe you want to hedge your bets against power outages, or if you just maybe enjoy the texture of canned foods over frozen, the entry-level process for canning is the boiling water bath. Now, this type of canning only requires a few special pieces of equipment that are readily available and relatively inexpensive. The process of water bath canning is pretty straightforward, but food safety is always important. So we'll talk about what equipment you need and what are just sort of nice to have, the process of canning, what is safe to can in boiling water, and what needs pressure canning, and lots of resources to help you find safe, tested recipes to get you started on your canning journey. Let's dig in. Hey, I'm Karen. I started gardening years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard, then moved to a five-acre lot outside city limits and expanded that garden to half an acre. What started as a way to provide for my family turned into a love for digging in the dirt and providing for others. Slowly, my husband and I built our small homestead into a 40-acre market farm through lots of trial and error and successes and failures. Eventually, I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture, and along the way, I discovered there is power in food. So I want to share everything I've learned with as many people as possible. This podcast is all about helping you become a better gardener and a better eater. Whether you're a seasoned gardener or have never grown a thing in your life, I want to give you the knowledge you need to get the biggest and best harvest you can. So settle in, grab that garden journal, and get ready to just grow something. So real quick, I want to talk to those of you who are on the newsletter email list. If you signed up for the newsletter or you opted to get a download from me in the past and you're not seeing my emails, check the junk or the spam folder, please. You should always get an email confirmation when you sign up. And now I've changed the process to where you'll get a page that tells you to check your inbox to confirm your email address. Lots of you are on the email list, but the emails aren't being opened. And I hate to see that you're missing out. And if you're not on the list, go to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com and there will be a pop-up box where you can sign up or you can scroll to the bottom of any page and find the form. Also, if you are local to the Kansas City area, I have spaces available throughout September and October for one-on-one -on -one garden consulting on-site at your home or your community garden plot. Just go to the same website, JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com, and click on the consulting link for the current options. And if you're not local, I can still do virtual consults, so reach out to me and we'll get you started. So we're just going to jump right into the basics of water bath canning. Keep in mind, this information that I'm going to give you is not meant to take the place of reading and following the instructions by sources that have researched this literally over decades. This is just meant to give you a general idea of all that is involved so you can decide whether it's something that you want to tackle. I have been water bath canning for years. It was, besides freezing, the, the next thing that I did when I first started to preserve my garden stuff. So I absolutely recommend giving it a try. So the equipment that you'll need is pretty basic. The, of course, you'll need the kitchen utensils that you would need for preparing the recipes. So, you know, paring knives and a cutting board and that sort of thing. 
but then also the equipment that you'll need for moving the items into the hot jars. So wooden spoons or ladles um, are usually good things to use. And then of course you're gonna need a water bath canner or a stock pot that is deep enough to hold pint or quart sized jars and it needs to have a lid. You don't necessarily have to go and buy something that is specifically for canning. You can eventually if you decide to expand what it is that you're doing, but I started with just the regular stock pot that I was using to make large batches of soups and stews. The key with this is to make sure that you have a jar rack or something that is going to keep the bottom of the jars from rattling around against each other. So if, if you have a water bath canner, there will be a rack that usually comes with it or you can buy them separately. And it keeps the bottoms of the jars off of the bottom of the pan. And so it allows the evaporating water to escape around the jars and it keeps them from banging against each other, which can cause them to break. Now, because I was using a stock pot initially, I didn't have one of these jar racks. And when I did go and buy one, I realized that it was too wide. It didn't fit the stock pot that I was using. I simply layered towels on the bottom of my pot and that served the same purpose. Um, the next thing that you'll need, the jars and the rings and the lids. Canning jars are specific to the canning process. You don't want to be grabbing, you know, old pickle jars or whatever. You don't know how they were tempered, and you also don't know um, whether or not the lids are going to fit properly. So you will buy new lids every single time that you can. So the lids that come with modern canning jars are not meant to be reused. They are a one-time thing and you throw them away after you're done with them and you replace them every single year. The rings, however, that come with them are reusable. So you get the jars, they are tempered to be able to withstand the heat. You have the rings and then you have the lids. Now there are reusable lids on the market and these became very popular um, during 2020 when there were shortages of canning supplies. I have not personally tested them. I know that they're a bit more expensive. It's something that I might wanna pick up at some point, but it's really not something that you would use just as you're starting out. There are also those fancy Weck brand jars. They are the glass canning jars. They have rubber gaskets that are reusable. They kind of resemble the old style canning jars that you may have seen, the old ball ones that had the, the metal like latches on them. Um, but they just have the gasket and the glass top. They are really, really cool looking. Um, they're very pretty. They are very pricey. <laughs> so those are definitely also not a starter item. But if you manage to come across some, you would absolutely, if you can get them for a good deal, pick them up because those gaskets are replaceable. Um, getting jars from garage sales or barn sales or whatever is just fine. Just make sure that you are inspecting for chips or cracks prior to using them. So if you have a whole bunch of hand-me-downs um, of these canning jars, and like I said, not just pickle jars, you want actual canning jars, but those are perfectly fine to use. You're just gonna have to make sure that you have new lids and the rings to go with it. I have amassed quite a collection of canning jars between purchasing them new, and they usually come in cases of 12, yes, 12. Between doing that and just picking them up at garage sales and having people bring them to me when they've decided they're no longer canning or, you know, maybe their grandma, you know, doesn't can anymore and they need to get rid of them. I have jars coming out my ears. My only problem is finding a place to store them when they're empty and not being utilized. 
So another thing that is handy to have is a jar lifter. Um, these kind of look like tongs, but the base of it is meant to grip around the top of the jar and make it easy to pull out of the hot water. Um, again, when I started canning, I was on a very, very tight budget. I did not have one of these. I was using regular kitchen tongs. I will say once I did finally get one of these, it was kind of a life changer. So if you can afford to pick one of these up, I absolutely would because you're going to save yourself a lot of stress and aggravation trying to get jars out of very hot water. Another thing that's good to have is a home canning funnel. These have a wider mouth at the base than a regular funnel, and it really makes it much easier to put items into the jars without spilling it everywhere. Again, I did not have one of these, and um, I really should have picked one up earlier than I did. Um, it, it sets just inside the mouth of the jar, and so you're not having to worry about dropping stuff and spilling stuff everywhere. It goes in nicely. Um, one of the things that you want to make sure that you're doing when you're canning is making sure that the, the edge of the jar is clean before you put the lids on, and having this canning funnel absolutely makes that a little bit easier. Now you may also see these tools that are, they're called headspace tools. They're used for removing the bubbles and removing excess air out of your can or your, your can, out of your jar before you start canning. And they also are used to measure the amount of headspace. Now the headspace is important and I will talk about that here in a little bit when I talk about the, the, the methodology for this. Um, but these, this can be handy. I've never actually had one. I just use a small skinny silicon spatula and poke it down in there to make sure that I'm getting all the air bubbles out. You can use a wooden skewer. You can use anything other than don't use metal, especially if anything that's high acid, you don't want it reacting, but anything that's silicon or whatever can, can get the, the air bubbles out if you don't want to buy a specific tool for that. And then the final thing that you might see is this little magnet on a stick that's used for getting the rings um, and the lids out of the boiling water after you have sterilized them. Now, it's no longer necessary to heat the lids. The sealing compound that's within those lids has been, they've found that it seals just fine when you put it on the jar that is at the proper temperature. So just the same as when it gets preheated. But if you're still gonna be sterilizing your rings and stuff in a boiling water bath, then a little magnet on a stick for getting them out is uh, is handy. It came with the kit that I bought, so that's the only real reason that I have one. Otherwise, just using a regular pair of tongs to pull them out of the water works just fine. It does make it much easier, though, if you put the lids into the hot water. So again, that's no longer necessary. That's personal preference, um, and that's a little tool that that might help with that. Essentially, what are you doing when you're water bath canning? Okay, so you're going to fill your stock pot or your water bath canner around halfway full of water, and you're going to make sure that you sterilize your jars and your bands, and you check them for any damage. Now, a really easy way to do this, if you have a dishwasher, is just to throw them in the dishwasher um, and do this just before you get ready to start canning. And then you can just fill them with water and stick them into your stock pot and that's going to preheat them in the canner while you are preparing your recipe. 
Um, otherwise, you need to bring that water all the way up to a boil and then bring it back down again. And it's just, you know, it's just one less, one less step if you can just do it in the dishwasher. But doing it in the boiling water is fine too. Again, follow the instructions that are in your book or your guide that you're using. It'll tell you exactly what to do and for how long. Once your jars are heated through and you have prepared your recipe, you're going to fill the jars one at a time. So this is where that canning funnel comes in. So grab one jar out of the hot water, make sure it's empty, put it on two. I usually have um, a, a kitchen towel or something sitting there. Put it onto the kitchen towel, put your canning funnel in the top, use a ladle to scoop your items up and get them into your jar. Make sure that you remove all of the airs out of there, measure out the proper headspace, wipe the rim, place the lid and the ring back on, and then you put it back into the pot. Okay, you do that one at a time until you, you're done with your recipe or until your canner is full. And then you want to make sure that the water that is in your canner covers the jars by about two inches. This is important. It will not seal properly if you don't have the jars covered. So this is the purpose of the ring. The ring is holding the lid in place until it can get a seal. Don't squeeze the ring on so tight that you're not going to be able to get it off later. Finger tight is fine. You're just holding that lid in place. Make sure the water covers the jars, like I said, by about two inches, and then put the lid on the pot and then bring the pot to a boil. You do not start timing your recipe until the water comes to a full rolling boil, and then you start your timer. So each recipe is going to be different. Some is going to say, you know, process in a boiling water canner for 10 minutes. Some's going to say 15. It all depends on the recipe. Follow it. Start your timer. Once it's done, turn off the water and just let the whole pot rest for about five minutes. And then move those jars to a towel in a place where they're not going to be disturbed for at least 12 hours. This is where that jar lifter comes in handy. Think about this. These have now been in boiling water for 10 to 15 minutes, sometimes 20 minutes, depending on the size of the jars. They've only rested for five minutes. These are still scorching hot. So this jar lifter comes in handy. It makes it much easier for you to move these things without getting burned or without dropping a jar and breaking the whole thing. Ask me how I know. <laughs> so I recommend the jar lifter. Go ahead and put these, like I said, in a spot where they're not going to be disturbed for about 12 hours or so. And then after they've sat, just check to be sure that you have a good seal. There are some people who store them with the rings on the jar, and there are people who say that you should not. Now, the reason why you shouldn't store your jars with the ring on is because if something happens and that jar loses its seal, you're not going to know if the ring has been in place the whole time. It's very possible, you know, if it's being stored in, in, in a spot that heats and then cools again, or if there's something wrong with the seal, that it's going to pop up and it's going to unseal itself. If you have a ring in place and the pressure changes and it pops that little indicator back down again, you're not going to know. You're going to have no idea that that thing 
had ever unsealed. So you're not going to know until you open it up and there's something funky, funky going on in there that that thing lost its seal. So it's always recommended to remove the rings. With that being said, I have been known to leave the rings on. Um, I did that especially when I was first canning. I didn't realize that there was a reason why I should be taking them off. I thought I should keep them in place to keep them from accidentally getting popped open. But if you have a proper seal, it's going to take some work to pull that seal off to pull that lid off so you know that's that's not protecting you from anything by leaving that ring there so this is personal preference once you get the hang of doing things then you're you know you're better able to determine for yourself what you prefer to do the way that you check to make sure that you have a good seal is if you look at the top of or the the, the top of a lid to a canning jar there's going to be this little bubble in the center that bubble pops down inward when there is a good vacuum seal and then once it has that seal is broken, then it pops back up again. If you can press the center of your lid and there's any give there, then you likely don't have a good seal. If that's the case, you have two options. You either put that one in the refrigerator and you use that one right away, or you can reprocess your jars that don't process properly the first time. You want to take that lid off. You want to clean off the rim of the jar, put a new lid on and then start the process all over again. You want to go ahead and, and heat the jar up and get it, you know, get it reprocessed. Um, usually if it's just one, then I throw that in the refrigerator and I just um, use it right away. But in most cases, as long as you haven't filled the jar too high, um, meaning you've left the proper headspace that is called for in the recipe, and if that rim of the jar is clean, then 99% of the time you're going to get a good seal assuming that your lids are appropriate. What do I mean by that? Well, there have been some reports in the last year, um, since some manufacturers have changed hands, that there are jar lids that are not sealing with very much consistency. And we're talking some name brand lid companies. Others um, have also experienced problems with ones that are off-brand that were purchased like during the pandemic when there were shortages and maybe they were shipped in from overseas and they're also not holding their seal properly. So it may not be anything that you've done that prevents it from getting a seal or keeping a seal, which again is one more reason to either store them without the rings on them to make sure that they're staying sealed um, or to check your canned goods fairly frequently. If you don't have a ton of them, that's easy to do. But if you're somebody who plans on canning a lot and having a lot to store, then it's going to take a little bit longer for you to go through every once in a while and check all of those lids. So storing without the, the rings might be a good option at that point. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I've been using Elm Dirt's plant juice in my greenhouse and my raised beds all season long and I can tell you the results have been impressive. My plants have been more drought tolerant, which has been super important this year. They've resisted disease better, they've handled stress more readily, and I've even done side-by-side -side comparisons and can absolutely see the difference in the health of the plants. 
Elm Dirt is offering Just Grow Something Gardening friends a little something special to get you started in using their products. Go to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com slash dirt and use the code JUSTGROW at checkout to get a free bottle of their bloom juice with any purchase. I promise you will be super happy with the results. That's JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com slash dirt and use code JUSTGROW at checkout for a free bottle of bloom juice with any purchase from Elm Dirt. Okay, so what can be water bath canned safely and what can't be? Why do we need to, you know, to, to can in any other method besides a water bath canner? Only high acid foods should be preserved by water bath canning. So this is most of your jams and your jellies, any fruit that you've canned in syrup, most of your pickles. Um, most high acid foods or foods that can have their pH adjusted slightly by using sugar or salt are also safe for water bath canning. So tomatoes and salsa, pickles and relishes and chutneys, anything that's got vinegar in it or has added salt to it. You just want to make sure that you are always using a tested recipe from a reliable source. Again, we're going to talk about the National Center for Home Food Preservation. It is a great resource for that. Non-acidic vegetables, meat, including poultry and fish, and soup stocks, yes, even vegetable stock, have to be processed in a pressure canner. They cannot be done in a boiling water bath canner. Why? We will talk about this a little bit more next week when we talk about pressure canning, but understand that the bacteria that produce the toxins, like the ones that cause botulism, can't survive in highly acidic or sugary environments. So that's why fruit jams and jellies are okay to do in a water bath canner. They're full of sugar. It's why we use vinegar when we're doing um, salsas or pickles. We're acidifying the food enough to kill those bacteria. But there are some foods that are just too high in pH to be able to be safely canned in boiling water, even if we add acid or sugar. The boiling water does not get hot enough to be able to kill those bacteria off all on its own. So too little of some additive can even make these recipes unsafe, even if it is an acidified vegetable like tomatoes. If it says to add X amount of cups of vinegar and you chintz out on that, you don't use as much, that can also make the recipe unsafe. It also doesn't matter if your grandma always canned green beans by just adding some salt and some lemon juice and nobody ever got sick. That doesn't mean anything. It just means you got lucky. So things like sweet corn, green beans, anything that has a pH higher than 4.6 is not safe to water bath can period, okay? We can't get our jars and their contents any hotter than boiling point without the addition of pressure. So it is unsafe to water bath can these things. They need to be pressure canned. We will talk all about that in next week's episode. Okay, so where do you get the recipes? What do you, how do you know for sure what it is that you can and cannot water bath? So there are plenty of home canning recipes on the internet that follow the safe canning procedures, but that maybe have not been scientifically tested, like by a university or something like that. So until you have experience and you know the proper procedures and the ratios, just try to stick to recipes that have been tested by either researchers or the manufacturers. You can check with your extension services. And again, I will link to the National Center for Home Food Preservation. They have all the guidelines there. My preserving and my canning Bible is the Ball Blue Book of Preserving. This has gone 
all the way back to the early 1900s. It's been continually updated. There is also a newer version of it. It's called the all-new ball big book of canning and preserving. The old blue book has all of the old standby recipes. It's got very specific instructions for how to properly can things. Also talks about freezing and pressure canning. And it's got all of the methods that have been researched and tested over many, many years. Mine is pretty much falling apart. It's marked up, worn out, stained, dog-eared. It's it, The backing on it's coming off. And I think I've already replaced it once, and I'm not even sure that the version that I have is even available anymore. I will link to a version of it um, in the show notes, and I will also link to the new book of preserving, because it contains newer recipes, and it also expands on all of those methods. Um, just, you know, stick with those when you're starting out. Don't go look up online and see the recipes that have been listed by Susie Homemaker. Just because she's a popular food blogger does not mean that she is well-versed in food safety. Get a handle and get an understanding of how it is that it's supposed to be done. And then you can start following other people's recipes because you'll have the understanding of whether or not something is safe and whether or not they're kind of skirting the issue a little bit. There is a whole segment of the population out there, the preserving population, that consider themselves rebel canners. And that's kind of a, you know, can at your own risk type of a thing, um, experimenting a little bit and maybe doing things that are kind of off the cuff. Again, if you're brand new, just err on the side of caution and do what's safe for you and your and your family. So a few tips and tricks, right? Start small. Don't decide to pick up a 25-pound box of tomatoes from your local farmer or hoard your harvest um, so that you can do, you know, 20 or 30 pounds at a time until you've done a small test run, right? Canning in large batches isn't hard necessarily, but it is tiring. I've spent many an afternoon on my feet in very long stretches trying to can up huge amounts of things all at once. Trust me, you will pay for it the next day. Your back is going to hurt. Your feet are going to hurt. I now break my canning up into smaller batches and I just sort of leave the equipment out and ready to use whenever I have the time. So, you know, try out 10 pounds of tomatoes or just a small batch of jam before you decide to go big. This will also give you the opportunity to get a handle on those procedures and tell you how much time it's going to take before you jump in with both feet. My next tip would be don't buy all the gadgets at once. Starting small also lets you figure out what you absolutely need for canning and what might be helpful but isn't necessary. And like I said, once I had done a few batches and then I finally bought a jar lifter using that instead of my tongs, it was an absolute game changer. But if we buy all the gadgets up front and then we decide that we really don't enjoy canning or it's not worth the effort to us and then we put all this you know, money into stuff that, that we now need to find a home for. So work your way up to it, and then it's no harm, no foul if you decide it's just not for you. If you can find somebody who is experienced in canning, invite them over for an afternoon. See if they will help walk you through the process. A lot of the time, it's one thing to be able to listen to me talk about it and to read the books and get all of the information, and then there's that next step of actually doing it. Sometimes having a buddy or having a mentor stand there and help you with it is really the way to go. 
Another thing is don't skip steps. When you're first starting out, it's really important to follow the process and the recipe to the letter. Once you get the hang of it and you understand all about the food safety aspects of canning and how things work, then you can start messing around a little bit. But in the beginning, go step by step. And then finally, don't substitute ingredients, not until later on. Again, the acidity level of the food in water bath canning is very, very important. So don't go swapping out one ingredient for another until you've got some experience under your belt and you know what can be done safely. So that's it. That's really all you need to know about boiling water bath canning. Get a good resource, get your supplies, and just jump in. It's not difficult and it is super rewarding. Every time I reach into the cupboard in the wintertime to grab a jar of pasta sauce or some stewed tomatoes or my husband opens a jar of his favorite strawberry jam, there is absolutely such a feeling of satisfaction. Now, next week we'll move one step forward in our preserving journey with pressure canning. It does not have to be scary or intimidating, I promise. So share this episode with a friend that's just getting started in preserving and then bring them back with you next week to learn a little bit more. Until then, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden and we'll talk again soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. For more information about today's topic, head on over to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com for all the episodes, show notes, blog posts, discount codes, and more. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. You can also head to Facebook and join a community of other gardeners asking questions and sharing their experiences in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. And if you want to support this show even further, head to Patreon.com slash JustGrowSomething to find out how. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning, keep growing, and we'll talk again soon. These lids that are go with the current can or the common, hmm, what is the word I'm looking at? Modern. Modern is the word I'm looking for. Wow, let's try that again. Uh, why am I having such a hard time thinking of words today? Non-acidic vegetables, like meat, mm, that's not like meat. Meat is not a vegetable. <sighs> if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time or seen my posts on Instagram, you know my husband and I are both former military and that we have a serious coffee habit. We also like to support other veteran-owned businesses, so Black Rifle Coffee is our coffee of choice. Not only do they have great coffee and merch, but they give back to military and first responders with every purchase. If you'd like to support this podcast and another veteran-owned business while also supporting your own coffee habit, head to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com slash coffee to save 20% when you join the Black Rifle Coffee Club. Give them a try with no commitment you can cancel at any time. That's JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com slash coffee for 20% off your coffee club subscription.